Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. So we're going to ask the question today, um, who do you not see or who do you not see for who they really are or who do you not see as neighbor who lives in proximity to you? And then maybe the deeper question, why do we not see uh, other people as people and why do we um, why do we make assumptions about them or allow ourselves to make judgments about them without ever actually knowing who they are? Um, the circumstances in which they were raised, the realities of their social location. Um, why, why do we do that? So this is going to be a conversation about how we see or fail to see people who are our neighbors, people who live in proximity to us, but whose access to, um, wow, everything that you and I are going to access today, uh, including a, a radio or a podcast, uh, or communication with the outside world, an understanding of the news, the application of the Christian worldview to the news, um, uh, a bed to sleep in, a home to live in, a car to drive, food to eat. Uh, I mean, you know, we just kind of jokingly celebrated that uh, you know, Chick-fil-A is rolling out mac and cheese nationwide. Only some people are going to have access to that. Only some people are going to have access to that. And other people are not. Other people are not going to have a hot meal today at all. And so we're going to talk about the reality of poverty. We're going to talk about the reality of what it looks like to be poor in America and why you and I have gotten to the place where we either just don't see those individuals at all or the way we see them is certainly not the way God sees them. And so we do not have the eyes of Christ on this particular matter. Joining me for this conversation, actually to lead us in this conversation is Terrence Lester. Uh, he is a person who has worked in this environment of, uh, of, of the poor and the homeless. Um, he is in a unique position to help us understand our own perspective on these issues and bring the perspective to Christ of Christ to bear, helping us to have the eyes of Christ on this particular matter of our day. He is up next with his new book, I See You, How Love Opens Our Eyes to Invisible People. That's up next. So in a culture where you and I curate pretty much everything we see, we curate who we see and how we see them through our filters on Instagram, and we 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 just curate what we see. We limit our own uh, viewpoint in so many ways. We're going to have a conversation about how we need to just blow that wide open, take off our blinders, and actually start seeing the people around us, um, and how we can be opened to that by love, by the very love of Christ uh, working within us. My conversation uh, partner today is Terrence Lester. 
He has a brand new book out called I See You, How Love Opens Our Eyes to Invisible People. Terrence, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Yeah, thank you, Carmen. How's it it's, going? Uh, it, it's going well. It's great to have you here today. Um, let me let me start with this. Why are we having this conversation with you? What do you know about people who are poor and homeless that maybe the rest of us don't know and have not experienced? Yeah, I'll start with the story. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I started posting these very personal and intimate uh, conversations that I was having with people actually living on the streets. And one of the, the topics that I talk about in the book is like the fear, right? Uh, many people often say, well, I, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm afraid to talk to somebody who doesn't have a home, but we don't really understand the other side of how that impacts somebody. And I, I was talking to this guy named Tyrus, and uh, he detailed like all of his raw emotions about how um, people pass by, people throw cans at him, uh, three people uh, say slurs uh, to him. Uh, people have all of these uh, these different uh, negative like interactions with him. And he talked about how damaging that was on the other side. Um, and towards the end of the conversation, he was like, I'm Tyrus, you know, I'm a loving father. I'm a brother. I'm a son. Um, I, I matter and I, I'm tired of people fearing me. You know, I, w- I would give somebody something, uh, a shirt off the, off of my back. He, he was basically just making this case of his worth and value. And I think, um, we are having this conversation because there are many people, um, who feel unseen that are living on the streets or, or even uh, suffering with poverty in this country. But the, the sad reality is that half the country, you know, there are 46 million people who live below the poverty line, but there are another 100 million people who are only one paycheck away. <laughs> so p- people are actually closer than they think. Yeah, one of the things that uh, as I was as I was reading I See You, and again, it's a brand new book. Uh, you guys need to check it out. I See You, How Love Opens Our Eyes to Invisible People. Terrence Lester is is the author. Um, there's a lot of people that are only one dollar away from being below the poverty line. A- a- explain yeah. to our listeners what the poverty line is and that one dollar makes all the difference of whether or not we regard you as above it or below it. Yes, sure. So like there's a national average. Let's let's just say if the national average uh, for you living below the poverty line, let's just give a, a round figure of maybe 17 or 18 thousand dollars. Right. Uh, if you qualify as living b- below the poverty line, that means that you uh, have ac- access to some, uh, you know, uh, governmental programs that will help you and assist you where you have gaps like we've worked with families that live below the poverty line and see some senior citizens that live below the poverty line. And as long as they live right below the poverty line, uh, they can get some of the, the social program benefits. But if they were just to make $1 more, just $1 more, it doesn't actually take them out of poverty, but it disqualifies them for some of the assistance uh, that they may get uh, through some of the programs that are out there. So like you talk about an elderly person coming to our center and they're they're wrestling between do I pay to wash my clothes at a coin laundry or do I, you know, put food on the table so I can live throughout the week? 
Um, and, and it's a real issue around the country. Okay. So we talk about massive numbers of people, but I think yeah. that you and I both know I can't see 46 million people. I can see one person no. at a time. And, and so yeah, you what can I, see neighbor. Yeah, what I need help with, neighbor. right? What I need mm-hmm. help with is, um, is seeing the, the person, the individual. Because that's who God sees. God sees the individual. Why do right. we not see the individual? I think it's a num- number of reasons. Uh, I think it's uh, a fear that's there. I think it's, uh, you know, how we have received information and, you know, kind of like uh, cultivated these views and perceptions of people uh, who mm-hmm. are, you know, living in poverty. Um, but we forget that we too are poor in some way. Uh, mm-hmm. When we talk about uh, Jesus coming to earth to rescue us and to like literally pay our debts. What is he paying our debt for? Because we were spiritually poor. And I, I often tell people that is the greatest way to understand and build a bridge between you that may ha- not have uh, uh, this this access to, to God in heaven and you receive Christ and you become spiritually rich through your relationship. But then you use that as a bridge to have empathy and compassion towards those who may be materially poor. And I think oftentimes we forget that we're all poor in some way and we just kind of like turn a blind eye and we got to get away from how we see people based upon secondhand information. We've got to get proximate to people the same way that Jesus got proximate to people uh, in the gospels. I love uh, the text when it says, and Jesus saw, and Jesus saw, and Jesus saw. But not only did he see, uh, he got cl- he got close to the, those people. All right, so we're going to talk about uh, as Christians how we are um, we are sent, called, invited into relationships with people who may be materially poor because it's important to us who are spiritually impoverished. And so uh, Terrence and I are going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We've got to take a quick break. Again, my conversation partner, Terrence Lester, he's the author of I See You, How Love Opens Our Eyes to Invisible People. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with Terrence Lester about the book I See You. Uh, and it's not ICU like uh, intensive uh, care unit. It's ICU like I see you with my eyes. I see you. Um, how love opens our eyes to invisible people. Terrence, um, as we continue this conversation, I want to I want to take people into the book uh, because okay. part of part of what I really appreciate about the book is the questions for reflection and discussion at the back. They are um, they're they're helpful in terms of how a person reading the book on their own might process uh, through the material. They're also really helpful in terms of conversations that churches might have or your community group might have, your, you know, the, the, the group of people you get together with in your own neighborhood. There, there are provocative um, relationship building, community building questions in, uh, in this discussion guide. And so, um, like, let's say, you know, we were going to talk about demystifying poverty? Are we going to talk about making room at the margins? Are we going to talk about creating community or um, uh, creating consistent rhythms? I mean, those are just some of the chapters in the book. The questions really lead us into the material 
in a way that doesn't just make it academic, right? It makes it personal. Tell me, what's the change you're hoping for? Because you actually, you you really have some great hopes for how people are going to be changed by engaging with the material in this book, not just reading it, but really engaging with the material in ICU. Yeah, I'm actually looking for heart change, uh, Carmen, um, and how people are seen who are experiencing, you know, homelessness and poverty in our country. Um, you know, like you, you talked about some of the, the chapter questions, like I asked personal questions, like, have you ever felt excluded, you know, or what did it feel like, you know? Um, and then I kind of like ask a question, like, why do you think people who are homeless are excluded today? You know, making, making it really personal. Um, I guess one of the the motivating factors is, uh, when Jesus is talking about loving your neighbor, um, when, when he says, love your neighbor, he's not talking about loving people who are like you or, you know, that are around you all the time. But the command is like to love people who aren't like you. And, uh, you know, I'm just trying to inspire people to follow Jesus in that way, um, to, to love their neighbor wholeheartedly and to care about those whom God cares about. I think there are a lot of, I mean, I agree with you when, um, when you sort of outline the assumptions that people have about the poor. Um, and I think that yeah. um, one of the important observations that you make that people may not understand is that there is, the real issue is access. The real issue yes. is access. So talk about that. Yeah, I mean, I, I redefine poverty as a lack of access. It's a lack of access to you know, quality education, sometimes healthcare. Uh, it's a lack of access to a lot of the different amenities um, that many of us have. Like you talked about how people will patronize Chick-fil-A with their mac and cheese. Like you said, some people won't even have access to a, to a meal today. And I'll never forget um, even a story uh, here recently. We had uh, a couple that had a, a child who had um, dyslexia, right? And so um, the, the, the community that they were in uh, didn't li- literally have the programming to uh, provide this, this child with, you know, adequate education uh, to, to complement the learning style. And this family didn't have the money to like just uproot and go to another school system where, um, you know, there were quality programs that could assist their child, et cetera. And uh, the child has kind of been like in like in a downward spiral because, you know, um, this child didn't have access. I mean, but the stories go on and on. People don't have access to showers. I remember um, when I started uh, the organization Love Beyond Walls, I had done this campaign where I actually lived as a person experiencing homelessness uh, for a little over a month. And I remember sleeping on the bridges and being put out of shelters and having people, you know, walk past me and some of my friends. But I remember this, uh, you know, personal story. I had a friend named Tony and he asked me to go up to the corner with him in in the heart of the city to beg for dollars. And so we created a sign and we go up and we're we're begging for dollars. And while we're doing so, I'm having a conversation with him about you know, are we doing this to get something to eat? Are we doing this 
so you can purchase alcohol, et cetera. You know, I just wanted to know. And he says, no, man, I'm, I'm literally begging uh, for money to purchase medication because I have a terminal illness. And um, when you put it in context like that, uh, poverty is a lack of access because in many ways it prohibits you from gaining some of the, the access to, to things to help you live a, a self-sufficient and sustaining life. So I want to um, I want to bring people to the hope that's in this book, because what what yes. that what that individual lacked access to um, is the same thing that that every other person who lacks access lacks access to. They lack access to the relationship that makes the difference. And so yes. um, the I, I I mean, I'll just come right out and say my sister and I have actually had this conversation in the past. We would never be homeless. And why is that? Because we have so many relationships with so many people who we feel like we would just compel to take us in, right? So um, yes. it's so the the access to relationships, the access to literally a social safety net that would never let you get to the place where you did not have access to the food you needed for a day or to a shower or to um, life-saving medicine, like, right, the relationships are what is first and foremost lacking. That is the bridge that we as Christians must of necessity walk across or establish or build. We are the ones who have received this restoration of relationship to the Father through the Son. We know what a bridge looks like. We walk across it every day in our relationship with the Father. Um, And we are now called to build bridges of reconciled relationship with people who genuinely uh, lack the relational access or the access that is that exists in community because of relationships. Am I getting the point of the book? Yes, <laughs> you most definitely are. Um, community is everything. Everything happens in community. Uh, you you worship in community. You feel accepted in community. There's encouragement in community. There are there are even opportunities, uh, Carmen, that happen in community. Um, I, I'd normally ask the, the person to think about how do they get an internship or how do they get a lead for a job or, you know, how do they get access to information? Uh, because sometimes, uh, you know, wisdom and information is a privilege. Uh, and so community is uh, the foundation of it all. Uh, that's what we see, see modeled uh, in the body of Christ. That's what we see modeled all throughout uh, scripture. And that's that's how we restore uh, the dignity of those who are living on the margins. That's how we affirm the dignity, because really, in essence, we can't give anybody dignity. We can only affirm the inherent dignity that God has already given them. And that happens in community. And so what I'm asking people to do is to think about how they can make a difference. And I, I, I'm, I'm not saying that you have to overwhelm yourself and try to change a whole system. I'm asking you to find one. <laughs> Who's your one? You know, who is the one uh, that you can get proximate to and invite them and, uh, and, and literally create community for uh, because you never know what they might end up becoming. And I, I'll share this this story uh, that's personal to me. Uh, when I was 16 and a half years old, I was living out of the trunk of my car. Uh, you know, I experienced homelessness as a teen. It was my friend's father, my friend's father, that literally would call out leadership qualities in, uh, in me uh, and allow me to s- sleep in my car, literally, uh, you know, down the street from their house. And so uh, every time I spoke to him, 
Uh, he became uh, a person that accepted me, included me, and, and made me feel like I belong. He was a believer, and he always called out the, the worth in me. And so uh, I remember the year I started my organization, and I was standing, you know, at his funeral, uh, you know, uh, watching him transition. And it was hard for me because this is the guy that I could call when I asked, should I marry her or should I work this job to put myself through college? He just became community for me. He he never really gave me anything, uh, but he gave me words. He gave me support. He gave me everything that I needed. And uh, it literally changed the dynamic of my life. And now my, my children and other people are benefiting from his personal investment in me. And I believe he did it because that is what God had called him to. And that's the same type of call that all Christians have to make investments and deposits in people uh, who feel worthless. Amen. Uh, Terrence Lester is the author. The book is I See You. You can find Terrence online at terrencelester.org. You can find I See You everywhere books are uh, are sold. You can follow him on Twitter at I, the, the two letters, I am, I am Terrence Lester, or I'm Terrence Lester with no, uh, with no little apostrophe in there. Okay, Terrence, thank you so much uh, for joining us today. We look forward to following up with you in the future. All right, thank you. Absolutely. All right, friends, we'll be right back. All right, friends. So uh, this is a this is a conversation today about what it means to be the church and what church looks like, and whether or not the church has kind of missed the point of the gospel and how emerging generations are going to respond to the gospel if the church has sort of lost all sense of what it is. So my conversation up next with Alex Seeley um, is about all of that and what it means to live an opposite life. Uh, So that conversation up next with Alex Seeley. We'll be right back. All right. This is one of those minutes in radio when you hope that somebody related to the next guest is listening. (laughs) Because we have the wrong number for Alex Seeley. And so if you're listening right now and you know her personally, uh, reach out to us and let us know what her number is so we can get in touch with her for this interview. Uh, If you are her promotional person, uh, hey, the promo sheet has the wrong info on it. There you go. Um, Okay, so this is, uh, there's my little uh, uh, trying to help my producer Paul in something that is uh, can be frustrating in radio sometimes because I really do want to talk to Alex Seeley about the opposite life and other things. Um, let me uh, let me say this. If you are not connected with us at Faith Radio, you need to be. We would, if you've never received a welcome packet, like you don't know everything that we're up to and all the goodies that you might get if you were connected to us, we want you to visit MyFaithRadio.com and request a free welcome packet. Uh, you can just, it's, it's super simple. And all you have to do is go to MyFaithRadio.com Look around if you're not familiar with like the podcast for this show. If you haven't ever shared the podcast with somebody else, you can, you know, you can click on that link and you can do that. There's all kinds of groovy things to do at MyFaithRadio.com. So get connected with us so we can be connected to you. We'll be right back. It doesn't matter how good a parent you are. There are forces at work in today's culture that can send your team spinning out of control. Hi, I'm Mark Gregston with Parenting Today's Teens. Maybe you've just gone through a shouting match with your teen and you're asking yourself, what just happened? Maybe you've just discovered something ugly on his computer. 
or maybe you caught your daughter lying to your face. To all of this, two simple words come to mind. When your family's in chaos, don't quit. And when your teen says he hates you, don't quit. When it's 3 a.m. and you have no idea where your teen is, don't quit. Whatever the situation, remember, God hasn't overlooked you. Rest in His presence and never, never quit. Want more help from Mark Gregston? Find books and other resources online at parentingtodaysteens.org. song and dance here for just a minute. Uh, and so let me share with you what I know about Alex Seeley. Um, first of all, I live in the greater Nashville area, and so I am familiar with The Belonging Company, which is the ministry that Alex leads with her husband. Um, if you're ever in Nashville on vacation uh, over a weekend, well, actually pretty much any time, because there's, there's, there's lots of stuff going on at The Belonging Company, not just on the weekend. However, if you are uh, in downtown Nashville on a weekend, um, and you're familiar with where Rocket Town is. Pretty much anybody who's ever been to Nashville knows where Rocket Town is. That is actually where the Belonging Company meets for uh, what I will describe as very high energy worship. <laughs> that would be my language as a person who maybe does not participate in what we might call very high energy worship. Uh, so there's very high energy worship happening at the Belonging Company. Uh, on Sundays in at Rocket Town in downtown Nashville, and that's a cool thing. Um, and God's really doing a very unique thing uh, with the Sealies and their uh, the team of people that God has gathered together there. So uh, the Sealies came uh, from Australia to Nashville uh, in 2012, and just started meeting with uh, literally a handful of friends at their home. And that is now uh, just within a couple of years. What I would use, I'm going to describe it as church. Uh, however, I think that when you start using institutional words, um, there's a little bit of rebuff to that. And so even though what is proclaimed is what I would describe as very orthodox evangelical theology, and what is expressed is the community of believers, the priesthood of all believers gathered together uh, in rich worship and fellowship with one another, deployed into the world in, you know, as genuine ambassadors of the kingdom, I still think the word church, because um, because it tends to, in our minds, be very institutional, um, might be rebuffed in this conversation. So one of the things that I like very much about Alex is that she's a Galatians 2.20 girl. And when I say that, um, I say that as a Galatians 2.20 girl. So when I became a Christian, which, you know, I would point to, I, I was raised in a Christian home. I grew up in the church, but I would describe the point at which I came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and intentionally gave all of of myself that I understood to all of him that I understood. Um, that act took place at a Young Life camp uh, in the summer of 1984. And, um, and I would describe uh, the giving of all of myself. Like, I didn't withhold anything. I didn't, uh, I didn't have this, this understanding that some people seem to have where, you know, there's only like a part of you that you're giving, uh, to, to Christ. You know, you're giving him lordship under, over some part, but not the whole deal. And so I, I gave Jesus everything. I knew that I didn't have, uh, any of it under my own control or knew what I was doing. So 
I gave it all to him. I literally, you know, died to self. I understand myself to be dead. I have understood myself to be dead for a long time. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Um, anything he wants to do, he, he it, this is his life to do it with and through and in and by and over. I mean, I, I don't know all the, what are those words called? Um, all of those things, ways uh, of being, I am genuinely seeking to allow the fullness of who I am to be used by God in any way he so chooses. And it's not that God needs me. I get that. I get that I am unnecessary to the project. But I also get that a, a person who is willing to be used tends to get used. And so um, so we've got Alex Seeley with us now on the line. Um, Alex, I have warmed them up by talking about Galatians 2.20 and telling them about the belonging company and inviting them to join you at Rocket Town anytime they're in Nashville for a weekend. So there you go. That was my warm-up act. We're so glad you're with us here on Mornings with Carmen. Right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So um, we're excited about this book, um, The Opposite Life. Let's just start yeah. with this. What do you what do you think the church has missed? Because one of the things that you describe in the opening chapter is that the church, you know, may have missed the real point of the gospel. That's a pretty strong statement. So what do you mean by that? Yeah. And, I, you know, obviously this is a huge generalization. I'm not saying I think there's some amazing churches that do um, live out the gospel, but I think the church globally and religion, if you like, has missed the point of the true gospel of being like Jesus and instead have filled their lives up with the uh, knowledge of Christ, Scripture being, you know, recited verbatim. But then when it comes to actual living out like Jesus, I think we have a disconnect to real time, like in our family situations, our work situations, the amount of offended Christians within church proves to me that we don't really live the opposite life. Okay, so describe the opposite life to us, because I, I really, I like this language, and I think it's, you know, it's kind of fun and provocative. What's, what do you mean yeah. by the opposite life? I mean that our flesh, we have a flesh nature, which is kind of our sinful nature. And I like that you referenced uh, Galatians 2.20, because as Christians, it's no longer we that live, it's that Christ that lives in us. And um, what tends to happen is that that flesh part of us sometimes doesn't completely die. So if somebody were to come and uh, you took offense to something, that says to me that your flesh is not dead. So what you want to do, your flesh wants to retaliate and you want to get revenge or you want to gossip about it or you want to, you know, get take the hurt and retract and, and retreat from that relationship. Well, that's living, that's living according to the flesh. That's what the world would do. But the opposite life says that if Christ lives in me, I'm to move towards that person, love that person. And in fact, I should never have taken offense in the first place. So it is a huge call and it is a huge um, shift, I think, to not just know scripture, but to actually choose to live opposite that when your flesh wants to rise up with a justice situation, that you actually do what Jesus did, where he suffered in silence, he kept his mouth shut, and he let God set things right. And I don't think as a whole, me included, throughout my Christian life, I've always chosen to do what is opposite, what is Christ-like, rather than what my flesh wants to do. 
We're going to take a really quick break, and then I'm going to be back with Alex Seeley. She and I are going to uh, continue our conversation about the opposite life. We'll be right back. Returning to my conversation with Alex Seeley, she is the author of The Opposite Life. Um, We're talking about the book, but we're also talking about the ministry of the belonging company. And we are, um, and we're talking about the blessed life. Why are we talking about the blessed life, Alex? Well, because I think that's what Jesus called us to. He said that um, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came to give you life and life abundantly. And I think sometimes we just equate that with material possessions, perhaps, or maybe we just think, well, what is a blessed life? But I think peace uh, to live a life full of peace is being blessed. To to live a life that where you're flourishing is blessed. And I think sometimes we as people do things according to our flesh or according to the world's way, and we realize why there's calamity and drama that follows us. But actually, goodness and mercy should follow us all the days of our lives when we allow Jesus to be Lord of our lives. And um, that's you know what I see as blessed blessing and being a blessing to other people. I, I like the way you've structured the book. Um, again, friends, we're talking about The Opposite Life. The author is Alex Seeley. You unpack um, 20 what you call op- opposite life principles yeah. in order that we as readers might be uh, led to live out what you call the blessed life. Can you just, yeah. uh, just describe what a, a few of those opposite life principles are? Yeah, well, you know, Jesus came and... Um, you know, basically said, in order to live, you need to die. And um, it, that's a, such an opposite mindset where we want to mm-hmm. save our lives. Um, and he says, well, if you save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lay down your life, you'll gain it. Such an opposite mindset. And it talks just about how, you know, when you are able to die to your flesh, that's when you truly come alive. It's the same thing about being great. We all want to hustle to be great. We all want to make ourselves known. But God says, in order to be great, you need to serve. Um, you know, when we're weak, he's strong. Uh, the wide and narrow gate, like we all want to take the, the road of least resistance. But God says, you know, take the narrow gate and there'll be a, a beautiful life at the end of it. Take the wide gate and that leads to destruction. And I think the gospel is full of opposite concepts that we as Christians sometimes want to take the easy route and wonder why it's such a struggle sometimes. But I think when we choose to live like Christ lived, like he came to deny himself, he made himself of no reputation. He endured the cross unto death, but then God made his name above every other name. And I just think the gospel is so full of opposite principles that if we really find those mysteries, that's when we truly discover how to live full. You know, one of the one of the things that Scripture teaches us is that we are called to be living uh, demonstrations, substantial living demonstrations yeah. of the fullness of the gospel's beauty and truth. Yeah. You really, um, you really embody that. Like that is that is who you are. If people, you know, see you and um, and experience uh, how you minister to others and what you're calling us into, uh, it's it's substantial. Um, yeah. It's not flimsy. I mean, it's substantial, but it's also beautiful. Yeah. Talk about yeah. making the gospel beautiful to other people. I think making the gospel, because I think Jesus is beautiful. I think everybody wants the real Jesus. Everybody. Everyone was drawn to Jesus. Even sinners were drawn 
to Jesus, yet I feel like if you were to ask a sinner today whether they would want to go to church, they'd be like, no, thank you, because I feel judged, I feel condemned. And I think the gospel, you know, it's the kindness of God that led people to repentance. And it's it's when you're so full of Jesus and so in love with Jesus because you've had a revelation of his goodness and his grace towards you, you can't help but allow that to flow out. And therefore, you've got to see Jesus. I mean, you've got to see people through the eyes of Jesus. And that's what I think makes Christianity beautiful. But unfortunately, and I've been a Christian for 46 years now, and sometimes I don't see beauty out of Christianity. I see judgment and condemnation and exclusive behavior. And and that is not the gospel. Jesus said, come the way you are. Don't get fixed and then come. Come the way you are. And when you're around me, I'll make you beautiful. I'd love to have a conversation with you, and we'll have to do it at a different point in time, um, about what it was like to grow up in Australia and and how the cultural context of Christianity is different in other places in the world than it is um, here, not only in the U.S., but certainly in the southern U.S. Could we could we circle back around and have that conversation at some point in time? Absolutely. Well, Love let me it. just tell you one thing. It is very different. And in Australia, when you become a Christian, it is a full-out, full-on sellout for Jesus, whereas I've found in the southern part of America, it's more of a cultural thing that we do. But when you're in Australia and you choose to follow Jesus, you are a diehard follower of Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I think that that's um, uh, like God has led you here because uh, in no small part, we need that witness um, because of the yeah. of the time into which we are moving as a country as well. So I, uh, yeah. I feel like it's strategic. There's some strategic yeah. timing. All right, Alex, you and I are going to have to leave it there, but we are going to pick up this conversation at another point in time. Thank you, my sister. Right. Thank you so much. Absolutely. The book is The Opposite Life. The author, Alex Seeley. We'll be right back. What are you feasting on today? So there's a lot of people engaged right now in fasting. Um, In fact, Alex and uh, her husband and their congregation are in the midst of a 21-day fast in a lead-up to uh, a conference that they are are having in mid-September. There are also uh, Christians across the country engaged in in a fast, in a 21-day fast um, related to Christian Union, which is a ministry on college campuses. So that one you can find out about at dayandnight.org. I'm wondering if fasting is a part of the spiritual rhythm of your life. I am uh, exploring it in my life and just um, just kind of wondering, like, is fasting something you have experience with? If so, could you could you text me about your fasting experience? 877-933-2484. Or let me know what your experience with fasting has been. Uh, Send me an email. Carmen at MyFaithRadio.com. I think this is a subject matter um, as we move into conversations about personal renewal and uh, and national renewal we got to have conversation about what happens when God's people not only pray, but fast, fasting and praying. So I'd love to know about your experience with that. All right. Uh, this has been Mornings with Carmen. Visit us online at MyFaithRadio.com or me online at ReconnectWithCarmen.com. Have a great day. God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. 
That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.